Good morning, New City. Uh, as we approach the end of 2020, I, there, I'm starting to see advertisements for Christmas products and uh, end of year, New Year's uh, type products. And, and some of the ads that are coming up when I'm browsing Facebook or some news site uh, are kind of like silly products that attempt to capture how awful 2020 has been for so many people and how excited we are to just like say goodbye to the year. And so like I think recently I saw a silly pair of socks that had 2020 written on it, but then there was a, a rather profane uh, gesture uh, kind of saying, like it's like a raising the fist to the year saying, we don't like you, uh, get out of here. This year's been awful and we're excited to put it behind us. And these uh, sort of light-hearted memes are, they're kind of funny and they're, they're meant of a way for us to like deal with all the stuff, all the pain, all the hurt that we've had to endure in 2020. But as you and I have journeyed through this past year, what I'm very aware of is that some of these hard realities, you know, we can't just like deal with them by laughing at them or by getting a funny t-shirt or a funny hat or silly socks. Uh, there's some heavy realities that are really hard and, and don't feel appropriately lighthearted like that. Like when you're sitting at the table with your kids trying to lead them through online school and there are tears that are flowing because of the frustration and the difficulty of working through online education at home. Or for some of you, I know a pandemic has wrecked your careers or wrecked maybe some business plans and have required some really hard pivoting on your behalf. And this doesn't feel small for, for some. This can be a significant loss. I know many couples are experiencing increased marital stress. I'm sure you've endured tense fights in your marriages, and, and some of you maybe feel deeply hopeless about the future because of what we've had to live through in 2020. These things are not lighthearted problems. They're not small little things that we can laugh about or, or, or shove to the side or, or pretend like they're not that big a deal. And so what I want to do in our sermon for today is to just notice these things. As we come to the end of 2020, we have a few weeks left, but it's approaching. And we're starting to kind of get in this mode of looking back on 2020. So today I want us to pay attention to some of that. Some of the pain ranging from maybe just a small or minor frustration that you've experienced this year all the way up to maybe some significant woundedness or, or trauma that you've had to deal with. I want to pay attention to those things and hold it before the Lord and see how God might respond to our hurt and to our pain. The, the typical, typical ways that we deal with these things is, is to kind of just deny it or try not to look at it because when we look at it it, it, it hurts again and so we tend to just try and look away and, and not pay too much attention to it. But I want to just say to us, this is not a healthy way to deal with our pain. That it's important to notice some of the hurt and the pain that we've experienced this year, to take it to God. And whatever that hurt or pain, many death experience that you may have had this year, hold it before the Lord and we look to God for healing and for help. 
And so before we begin in earnest in our sermon, I want to just take a moment where we're going to have a, a brief pause for some quiet and see if there's something that comes to mind over this last year. A hurt, a disappointment, a loss to be named. What's coming to mind for you? And as we go through the sermon, you can hold this thing kind of in the back of your mind as you listen. But anytime it becomes too overwhelming, just let it go. This is not a sign if it's too overwhelming for you that Jesus can't bring healing to your hurt. But it's maybe a sign that you could use some help in processing and looking for healing as you deal with this painful experience that you've had this year. And the passage I want to have us in, as we consider how God heals our hurts, is John 11. It's a longer passage, so there'll be some opportunity just to listen. John 11, verses 1 to 44. This is a familiar passage, it's the story of Lazarus. Listen as I read it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Word of the Lord. There's a lot going on in this passage. I know it's long, but I think it's worth reading so we can just sit with the Word of God. There's two polarities that really stand out for me. The first is the compassion that Jesus has for people that He loves when we go through difficult things. We see this clearly in the the verse Jesus wept, but also over and over talking about uh, how Jesus loved them and how Jesus was deeply moved. And so as you are holding this hurt that you have from uh, 2020, this is the first thing that we want to remember. Whenever we go to God in prayer with that hurt, or there's some time in the future, whether you're able to do that right now in the midst of this sermon, we remember that Jesus weeps with us over our pain. So the loss that you've experienced, the grief that you have, the pain that you feel, the disappointment that this year has brought to you, God is sad about that too. That's the first thing that we notice about this passage. The second thing is that there is a polarity. That, that just on the one hand, Jesus is sad with us. He mourns with us. He grieves with us about our loss, our pain, our suffering, our hardship. 
On the other hand, we also see that Jesus has this great power over death. He has the power to resurrect a dead person, to bring new life into the spaces where there are, where there is death. And John is telling this story in such a way that this is applicable not only to Lazarus, but to you and me as well. The takeaway that we are meant to have is that in those places in our life that are full of hurt, God can bring new life. In fact, He can take a place that is so painful and there's so much hurt that it feels like death. And by His Spirit, He can bring resurrection. And with these two realities, the the deeply moved, weeping with us in our pain, and also this great power to bring resurrection out of our pain, we see the way that Jesus moves through this world. And this is probably one of the more peculiar uh, things that Jesus does. Uh, It's in verses 5-7. through Listen as I read it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And this is odd. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, but then stays. And John makes it clear that he stays two more days because he loves them. The Greek is clear. It's a therefore conjunction. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Therefore, he waited. Therefore, he let them stay in the death. I'm not sure what John is trying to say here is that he allowed Lazarus to die. He waited for two days, but it's clear in verse 17, that when they arrived there, he had been in the tomb for four days. So even if he had left right away, he wouldn't have arrived in time before Lazarus has died. So it's more likely that he's, he's waiting so that they can stay in the death for longer. Some people have suggested that Jews at that time thought the spirit didn't leave the body until after three days. So maybe he's waiting to make sure that everyone knows that he's dead so that when he resurrects him, they can know that he has been raised from the dead. Maybe. But Jesus gives us the ultimate purpose of what he's doing in all of this in verse 25 through 26. This right before this, Martha has said, Lord, if you had been here earlier, my brother would not have died. Something that Mary echoes later. Jesus says this in verses 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is Jesus explaining the why behind his waiting. This is Jesus explaining the why behind everything that's about to happen. He wants them to believe. And he wants them to live by believing. And he wants them, when they go through death, to continue to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't say, 
I can raise people from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And again, John is writing this in a way that this message is not just for those people in that time, but it is for us. The implication is that as you and I go through death, that if we can believe in Jesus as we go through death, that there is going to be a resurrection that is happening within us as we face the death. And in this year of really hard things, full of really, really painful things, this is the invitation that Jesus is asking. He asks Martha, do you believe this? This question is for you. Do you believe this? As you face death, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? In this world, you and I are going to have to face all sorts of difficult situations, endure all sorts of many deaths, disappointment, and pain. There is no option on life where we can select uh, no hardship or no loss. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean that we won't have pain in our relationships. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean nothing bad is going to happen. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to ever get sick. The invitation is to believe through death. As we go through death, to keep believing in Jesus that He is the resurrection and life. Continue to trust that God cares for us. Continue to believe that God loves us and trust that God's purposes prevail in our pain. And if we do this, what we often find is that God's purposes in the resurrection experience has more to do with transforming something on the inside of us than with fixing anything in the world outside here. God uses our death-like experiences to set us free from some attachment the clinging to which was killing us, and to transform us into this free person who's able to be loving towards all people, no matter what's going on. So as we face death and we believe in Jesus through the death, we let go and surrender more fully to a life of love. And this means as we go through death believing in Jesus, Something is transformed. Something shifts within us. There's this resurrection transformation. So on the other side of it, we emerge to experience life differently than before the death-like experience. I was listening to a podcast this week in which a man recounted a near-death experience that he had. He, he's not a Christian. It wasn't super spiritual, but... He was, he was talking about how he almost died. He, he talked about how uh, he was hunting on this remote island off the coast of Alaska. And he came around the corner, and out of this bush emerged this huge Kodiak bear. We were trying to get a picture, but we couldn't get one without copyright issues, so we weren't sure about that. But imagine uh, these Kodiak bears are, are they're like brown bears in terms of their color, but they're larger than grizzly bears. They're absolutely massive. 
And you can be very deadly in close contact like that. And so in the process of him describing this encounter that he had, he kind of shifted and started talking about, he said, do you know what it means to play possum? And he said, well, you see, we used to think that when a possum uh, played possum, they had encountered this threat and they were pretending to be dead so that the animal would just walk away. But what we've late, since discovered, I guess, is that they're, when possums are playing possum, they aren't actually playing, that their uh, system becomes so overwhelmed with stress and fear and anxiety that they just shut down and no longer function. And so then he said, when I came into contact with this Kodiak bear, I was playing possum. And by that I mean I wasn't playing. He's this tough hunting guy and, and he had this experience and he was immobilized by stress and fear and the certainty that he was about to die. And he talks about the way this experience, this close encounter with the Kodiak bear, this awareness or this certainty that he was going to die shifted something in, the brain, in his brain. And he kept saying, I'm just not the same anymore. Like I've been jarred and I'm different now. And he said, this is like a near-death experience that just happens to you. He faced death, but then he lived, and now he is different. There's no going back. And there's no way to simulate an experience like this. Like, like if you recognize that the people on the other side of near-death experiences had this attribute that you really wanted, you couldn't put people through training or give them eight practices to try to get there. You only get here by going through death by facing death, to feeling it in your bones that you're about to die. That's what he was saying. And I think, in some way, this is what Jesus is doing in our passage when he waits. He wants this shift to happen in Martha and Mary and Lazarus and in all the people that are there and in you and me. He wants them to come to this awareness or knowledge or deeply held belief that is, they cling to and hold to so tightly that Jesus is the resurrection. He wants them to know that the worst thing can happen to them. Their brother can die. But they'll be okay. Because Jesus can heal any hurt. And so for you and me, the message is the same. He wants you to know he wants me to know the worst possible thing can happen to you. If you can believe in Jesus, believe in God's love, trust that he is for you, there can be a resurrection. There can be new life. There can be a shift that happens in you that opens up a much better world on the other side. As you and I go through all the hard things of this year, Jesus is inviting us to keep believing. Keep believing that Jesus is a resurrection who can heal and redeem all our hurts, all our disappointments, and all our pain. A couple months ago, I participated in a retreat centered around the person of Julian of Norwich. And apparently, she's seen a resurgence in popularity recently because she lived as like a hermit attached to the side of a church, which is essentially the same thing as quarantine. 
and she also lived during the time of a plague. So there's some similarities between what's going on now and what was going on in her life, so people have been talking about her more. So it was fun to learn about her story a little bit, and the plague that was going on when she was alive is the Black Plague, which is awful as COVID is, the Black Plague was far worse, often killing a third of people as it would sweep through a village. There's also terrible injustice in this political system. So she lived in the 1300s in England when uh, church and state were wed together and they were literally burning people and killing people uh, if they didn't believe the right thing. On top of that, the Hundred Year War was going on between England and France. And so she lived in this gruesome, horrible world. And yet in the midst of this gruesome world, Julian was full of love for God and had this amazing faith that that things were all going to be redeemed. All the pain that she saw in the world, she was trusting that God was in the work of resurrecting and redeeming it all. Majority of her life she spent in this small room attached to a church building. And she didn't interact with a lot of people except... One part, there was a servant who brought her food and stuff like that. But other than that, the only interaction she had with the outside world is people would come to her window and she would offer spiritual direction and counsel to them. And so she had an insight also into some of the personal struggles and pain that people are experiencing as well. Well, anyways, as she was uh, early on, as she was moved into this uh, side room next to the church to pray, Um, She became deathly ill and almost died. In fact, she was so sick that a priest was called in to give her last rites because they're sure that she was about to die. But as she lay on her deathbed, she didn't die. Instead, she received a vision where she saw Jesus on the cross. And then after she recovered from that vision, she spent the rest of her life really meditating on and she wrote a book about this vision and it kind of became the central purpose of her life. She ended up living all the way into her 80s. And for a while afterwards, she kept asking the Lord, what does this vision mean? Because she didn't understand all of it. And finally, she received an answer in prayer, and this is what she writes the meaning of the vision was. From the time I had these revelations, I often longed to know what our Lord meant. More than 15 years later, I was given in response a spiritual understanding. I was told, do you, know, do you want to know what our Lord meant in all of this? Know it well. Love was His meaning. Who showed it to you? Love. What did He show you? Love. Why did He show it to you? For love. Remain firm in this love and you will taste it ever more deeply. So as Julian faced death, Same thing happened to her that happens to everybody who has to go through death. They let go of their clinging to life in a certain way. And as they do, all that's left is to rest in this love. This is the shift that happened in Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's the shift that you and I all have to go through every time we face a death, small or large, as we can let go a little bit of our clinging and surrender to God's love by believing that Jesus will redeem it, whatever it is. 
So Julian, after experiencing this and, and having this deep awareness of God's love and this shift that happens, she's still looking out at the world and, and aware of God's love for her and, and for God's people and, and just overwhelmed by how much pain and suffering is going on all around her. And so she takes this question to God, like, why, God, if you love people so much, there is so, so, so much hurt. A question you and I could ask about this last year. Why? Lost my job, got sick, had the conflict, the disappointment. This is what she writes. In my folly before this time, I often wondered why, by the great foreseeing wisdom of God, the onset of sin was not prevented. For then, I thought, all should have been well if God just stopped sin and suffering from entering the world. But Jesus, who in this vision informed me of all that is needed by me, answered with these words and said, it was necessary that there should be sin, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Again, this is a person living through the Black Plague, the Hundred Years' War, deep corruption and injustice in society. And yet she has come to know the love of God and the redeeming, resurrecting power of Jesus to such a degree that in her soul she can look on suffering and know all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. This is the story that Martha and Mary were discovering, and Lazarus as well. Even though he dies, all shall be well. Because Jesus, the resurrection and the life, can redeem and heal all things. Whatever of you have gone through this year, whatever you're going through now, whatever pain you thought of at the beginning of the sermon, whatever you're holding on to now, Jesus wants you to know of His great love for you, compassion that brings Him to weeping over your pain, but also His power to redeem, to resurrect, and to heal all things. So that you and I can come to the same place that Julian of Norwich arrived, where we can pray, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Let's pray. O oh Lord, help our weak faith. Help us to come to a knowledge of your love so that we might believe with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Julian, that you are the resurrection and the life. And whatever pain we know and experience today, you can bring healing. May it be so, Lord. Amen.